Imagine your most important memory. It's not an easy task, for sure. And at first your mind might wander to weddings and funerals and graduations and all those other external checkpoints we use to measure our progress through life. But memories aren't just landmarks that we point to to showcase how far we've come. They're the foundation, the earth and rock upon which we build ourselves and our futures. And so it is that our most important memory often isn't our most monumental date or the act that will cement us into history. It's instead the formative moment, the humble soil we used to nurture the seeds of our very being. No ordinary man would face the iron wind. <laughs> A screaming whirlwind of nanomachines from all nine worlds. The Iron Wind is the natural representation of the beyond. A tameless, relentless force that lays waste to anything foolish enough to stand in its way. As you make your way through this wind, the desert land around you convulsing into a wild patchwork of shapes, colors, and textures. Your entire being protected only by a flickering bubble extending from a small piece of Numenera on your outstretched hand. You know one thing to be true for certain, Hopper. You are no ordinary man. For hours, your worn feet carry you through the storm before your hawk-like eyes spot an oasis, a rustic bar with worn paint spelling out the sleazy sesky. Your weary hands press against the door, and your nervous ears twitch as the crowded masses of cowards and criminals inside turn silent. In front of you at the desk, the bartender turns with a start to you and says, Oh, well, well, hello there, uh, sir. How can I help you this fine evening? One scotch on the rocks. He grabs a moldy mug from up top, drops in a large, large amount of scotch, slides it over to you, and says, You know, I'm going to be honest, sir, not a whole lot of folks come out in the iron wind. Got to be something real special bringing you out here. Before answering, Hopper takes the mug and downs the entire shot in one gulp. And then he slams the cup back on the counter and says, I go where the wind calls me. A man who follows the wind's got to be awfully dangerous himself. You wouldn't be happen to be here for trouble, would you, Mr... Hopper. Jameson Hopper. And I don't go looking for trouble. Trouble usually finds me. And then in one smooth motion, he's going to slide the cup back to the bartender across the counter. You pick up the cup to slide over. And as you do, you hear a sharp ringing pierce your ears. And your face gets a small slit as a shattered piece... Oh, I forgot to do my voice. As a shattered piece of the mug slides past your cheek and the mug inside your hand explodes. And to your right, you see him. One-Eyed Joe. who actually has three eyes, 
The one eye is referring to the extra one on the top of his head. And he says, hello, Hopper. Funny to be seeing you around here. I wasn't done drinking yet, One-Eyed Joe. You want to pay for that drink? Ah, I'd say let's put it on your tab. You have enough on there already. Five men last I heard. And then Hopper will say, my tab's not closed yet. And then he'll whip out his pistol and take a shot. Give me a roll. (laughs) Okay, hang on. Did that my dice out. Ten. Well, One-Eyed Joe has three eyes, so he's able to see a lot. And normally he would be able to dodge anything, but since you are specialized in light weapons... Sure am. Your gun hits him square in the shoulder. And what does this gun look like? Um, this gun looks like a classic Western pistol. Uh, revolver. Sorry, not pistol. Revolver. Um, with the six barrels. But there's a seventh one in the middle, and that's the special bullet hole that he shot the bullet out of. His lucky, his lucky seven. Your lucky seven is pretty unlucky for three-eyed. I forgot his last name already. Joe. It's just Joe. (laughs) (laughs) It's one-eyed Joe. It's unlucky for one-eyed Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Your special shot is pretty unlucky for one-eyed Joe. As it tears through him, breaking off the ligaments, and his arm falls to the ground, leaving just a stump behind. You both sit there panting for a moment. But you know what happens next. You've collected nine of his arms by this point. And from the stump, you see the ligaments start to bend themselves together. And a new, more powerful man take its place. And he reaches forward and lifts you up by the throat. As everyone in the room around you drops over their tables and lifts up their pistols. It looks like you're at the end of the line, Jameson Hopper. Any last words? Uh, Hopper will just smile from under the brim of his hat, which is currently aesthetically covering his eyes in shadow. And he'll say, I was about to ask the same of you. And then he's gonna kick One-Eyed Joe straight in the nuts. Does he have those? (laughs) I hope so. Your foot flies forward with a fury not seen by many ordinary mans. But as we said in the introduction to this entire thing, you are no ordinary man. You get the picture, you hit him in the balls real hard. And he yells out in screeching horrible pain. And he turns to you and he says, Really? How dare you do that to me? I swear on all that is in the beyond that I will destroy you. Men, and he snaps his fingers, kill that man. Kill Jameson. Simon? Ah! Simon, are you still in there? So you look up from the book that you've been reading, young Simon. How old are you? I'm 12. And what are you reading? I am reading The Adventures of Jameson Hopper, legendary hero of the beyond. You're jump startled and you look from the book on your glass bed through the semi-opaque glass door and you can see the fit shape of Dad Alvin standing outside. And terror shoots down your spine. As you realize you've been reading this book for minutes, for for hours, for days, you don't know how long, but you know that... um, While Dad Alvin will sit there till the end of time, your other dad, Dad Theo, probably won't be as patient. Simon, are you in there? We gotta get ready for today. 
yeah, 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 uh, 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 and Simon was so engrossed in this legendary book that when his name was called, he kind of dropped it a little bit and lost his page. So he's stuck between trying to hide the book, like, no, I wasn't goofing off, and trying to bookmark the page he was on, but he can't find it, so he's flipping through to make sure he can refine the page. You keep flipping a lot. Your book has fallen from your glass bed, kind of bounced off one of the glass walls and hit the glass carpeting. Do you get it? The entire building is made out of glass. That's that's the gimmick. Did you get it? I get it. Okay. So you're on this uh, cool glass floor flipping through your book as Dad Alvin keeps on banging on the walls. Simon, you can find no, the da- correct page find, of the book when you get to, downstairs. Oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, uh, and then I'll grab like a scrap of paper or whatever I have around to use as a bookmark. And I'll put the bookmark in. And then Simon will run out the door to greet his dad. You jump out the door and you see the smiling face of Dad Alvin staring down at you. And he gives you a big hug. And he says, come on, breakfast is almost done. You want to catch it while it's hot, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you walk arm in arm with Dad Alvin down the glass steps into the glass living room of this glass house. I will say glass as many times as I need to to get this idea across. And you see wearing a big don't kiss the cook apron, the larger mustached figure of Dad Theo, who seems to be cooking grits again. It's a bit repetitive, but they are, as the normally humble Theo would say himself, the best damn grits on the whole goddamn planet. Dad Theo's head turns down a little bit as you uh, run down the stairs and you just hear him kind of muffle to himself. Was he reading the book again? Uh, yeah, but Dad, Dad, it's really, I, it's really good. I mean, I, I didn't know. I can't tell if he, I mean... And then Simon will kind of collect himself. He's just, he's just so jazzed about this book he was reading. Um... Do you know if Jameson Hopper was real? Well, I mean, of course he, I mean, he probably, uh, I mean, he, we found it in the nonfiction section of the bookstore, right? Right, Theo? Yeah, that's also how we saw how to raise a dog. What the fuck is a dog? Theo, play along, all right? He's very excited about this. Theo turns around and you can see him kind of force a (laughs) smile underneath his mustache. He's trying really hard to look genuine, but he's a very, very bad liar. Of course, son, of course, Jimmy Hooper was a real man. Now who wants grits? He slides four great plates of grits onto the table. One for you, one for him, and two for Dad Alvin, who has already devoured one of the plates whole. Uh, Simon will take a bite of grit and then keep excitedly talking. Did you know that Jameson Hopper shot one-eyed Joe in the shoulder? And it was really cool. Simon, you know it's not polite to call people by their physical features. Well, the book did. Hey, the book did. Dad Alvin, you can see, gets this horrified look on his face. And he turns over to Dad Theo, like, what (laughs) box of horrors have we opened? Oh, no. What does it say about women in that book? Oh, no. Dad Theo doesn't really respond that much. He just takes another bite of grits and he just coarsely says, aren't you supposed to be practicing for the performance today? Simon had completely forgotten about that. And at that, he will freeze mid-bite of grit and then put the bite back down on his plate and go, oh, do I, do I really have to? Well, you signed up to help that girl's performance and a man always keeps his word and can always be dependable. Yeah, but what if he never wanted to do it in the first place? Alvin lets out like a, uh, a laugh, like a, 
of like just not being able to believe it. And then he he sees your your kind of sad face. You know, it's always good to hang out of your comfort zone. I, isn't she a friend of yours? Yeah, but I've I've never played anything in front of anyone before. Well, there's no better time to do it than the Sonati Solstice. I think there's a lot of better times to do it than the Sonati Solstice. I will have to agree with the boy on this one. But you signed up to do it, son. Simon will groan. Uh, I'd like sink down in his chair a little bit and keep pushing the grits around. Son. And then, son. at the tone of voice, he'll sit up straight again. Thank you, son. Oh, come on, Simon. You know you're gonna be great. Uh, and Dad Theo kind of gives a meh face at that. You've been practicing this harmonica. Cu- you've been practicing on your harmon. You've been practicing on your harmon. <laughs> you've been practicing on your thing ever since you know your dad got it for you. Harmonica calculator. Then I'll look up at Theo and say, thanks again, Dad. I do really like it. I'm just real nervous to play is all. Well, son, I guess I have one question for you then. If you fail, if you embarrass yourself in front of everyone and become a social pariah for the rest of your life, will it physically kill you? At every addition to that, like if you embarrass yourself and then become a social pariah, Simon's cheeks will get a little bit redder. And now he looks like more afraid than he did before. And he'll squeak out, probably not. He takes another bite of grits, and while chewing it, points his fortune and says, Exactly. And hey, if it makes you feel better, your dad and I are going to be at the performance later today. We're going to be checking out the sculpture gardens. Uh... Oh, come on, your majesty. You know you like it. Uh... Your majesty. Your father got voted Sonati King this year. He's going to be standing up next to Miss Miller. But we hate Miss Miller. Oh, she hates us. <laughs> but this is our opportunity to fix that. Uh, Simon is looking at Theo and giggling into his juice. He's going to look at you. He's going to glare. You know, like those dad eyes? Yeah. He's going to like glare at you with those for a second before realizing it's his issue. Softening up a little bit and turning over the dad album. I still don't get why they waste Sonati on this. Our city is on an entire bed of unthawable ice. And instead of using it to, I don't know, create refrigeration, we use it to make sculptures once a year. Does Simon do anything? He looks deep in thought. This is the first time he's kind of thought about that. So he will say, um, we really only use it for the sculptures? Dad Alvin is going to slap Dad Theo's shoulder and he's going to look over to you and say, of course not, son. We also use it for uh, the winter portraits. Remember the caricature we got done last year? And he points up to this icy caricature on the wall of all of you as Angulan knights. You and Theo both kind of shudder <laughs> at this memory. You see Dad Alvin just kind of like trying to number on his fingers the other thing that they use the Sonati Ice for. And that's it. But that's a whole two things on top of cooling our town. Simon looks thoughtful again. I read a story about about Jameson Hopper and how he took water to a town that didn't have any. Is there enough ice to share with other towns? Dad Theo and Dad Alvin share a look. Dad Alvin tries to consolingly grab your arm, and you can see Dad Theo in the other corner, just like his mouth is curled up and he's kind of giggling to himself a little bit at the idea of wasting this ice on other towns. <laughs> like, who shares things outside of Dunshire? So he's just badly giggling to himself. And as Dad Alvin sees you turn your head to Dad Theo, who's just giggling to himself, he looks at you 
you and he looks up at the sun and he says, oh, well, look at the time. You're going to be late for the rehearsal if you don't head out soon. Ah! And Simon will shovel the rest of the grits in his mouth and then run out the door collecting his harmonic calculator, which is somewhere down there on the way out. Oh, bye, Dad! Son! Bye, Dad! Son! What? Your hat! Oh, my hat! Uh-oh. Oh. And then he'll begrudgingly go get the stocking cap required of all children to wear in Dunshire. Yeah, which that would be up in your room. So you run upstairs and you get this horrible gaudy hat. And you see lying on the floor the Jameson Hopper book. And you know just how terrible today is going to be and how boring it's going to be. So I'm going to take the book. Okay, you run downstairs with the book, probably hiding it from your father. I'm I'm trying to hide it and I'm trying to move quickly to just get out of there. And you hear Dad Theo shout out, have a good day, son before turning over to Alvin and saying, at least tell me I don't have to talk to Joan. I really do not want to talk to Joan. Oh, it'll be fine. She tried to stab me once. (laughs) And with that, you run outside into the city of Dunshire. A stone's throw from the castle of Neverlost lies a small town secure in the shadow of its better-known neighbor. Its townsfolk care little for the trouble of the outside world, sleeping through the coup of Anquan and responding to the marauding masses of the Paranthian Empire by simply locking their doors at night, a good practice for any self-respecting citizen on an irregular evening. Jumper sweaters and jumper jeans carry playful children as they roam the wide streets and their parents watch from the doors, trading whispers of parental pride for details on the latest non-scandal. This is Dunshire. It's your home, Simon, a secure if sheltered town that you've only left in your dreams. And today is the Sanadi Solstice, the biggest day of the year. The area Dunshire lives around is a surprisingly inhospitable one. Specifically, its winters are colder than most, and its summers are hotter than almost anywhere else in the Ninth World. But it happens to be built on Sanadi ice, a type of ice that, to our knowledge, cannot be thawed and keeps Dunshire cool and habitable during the summer. It's very difficult to mine. You need specific Numenera and experience. So whatever is mined needs to be kept very precious. It could be used to make lots of money, but the folks of Dunshire don't need that. They have everything they need, so they keep most of it in the ground and use what exists left for special purposes. The biggest one being the Sanadi Solstice, a way of basically saying fuck you to nature, but politely. Children from around the town perform feats of considerable exertion and labor to demonstrate the town's resilience against the summer sun. And there's also a sculpture garden devoted to those considered significant to the people of Dunshire. It's mostly pets, but in an attempt to kind of at least add a few people, each year a king and queen from the town are crowned. This year, the queen is Joan Miller, your horrendous next-door neighbor. But the king, the king is the greatest man you've ever known. Well, one of the two. He's your dad. You don't have a whole lot of time to save the sights, though, because you have to run to the performance stage. Ironically, it's the only thing of town not made out of ice or glass. Instead, it's made out of wood that's debating whether it wants to split in half along the many termite-ridden holes, or, alternatively, catch on fire from the burning summer sun. It does get a new coat of paint each year, though, which is nice. As you run forward, you can see a crowd of identical uniforms kind of muddled around the short squat mayor, Julius Barnaby, who has his large pet rabbit Amber stretched across his entire shoulders and kind of laying like a very, very large cat. And he seems to be flipping through his notes, calling off names. Jean Roddenberry? Here. (laughs) Why? Rosemary Violet? Here. Simon and Simon? Here. Hmm. 
He looks up from his clipboard and uh, sees you kind of running, panting a little bit, sweating profusely because you had to run as fast as you could to get here. Right. Expected better from royalty. And he looks down and he uh, says, Beatrice Stillwater? Beatrice Stillwater? Beatrice still... Well, I don't know what else we would expect from outsiders. And he raises a pen to cross off a name as you hear a fair voice call out, Just one second, I'm here! And as that voice calls out, you turn around and watch a familiar swirl of dust glide effortlessly towards your group before coming to a smooth stop. As the dirt settles into the ground, you make out the shape of a girl a few years older than you, standing confidently in flashy rollerblades and openly facing Mayor Barnaby. She sneaks a glance at you and smiles. Well, hello there, Miss Stillwater. I thought you were going to abandon us for good, just like all the other towns. Oh, Julius, you know I wouldn't miss this for the world. Right. Uh, Simon physically blanches at the fact that she just referred to the mayor by his first name. <laughs> like, wow, that is some... I want to say balls, but I don't want to say balls, because that's gender-coded. Cojones are... Go- cojones? No, cojones just mean balls. Well, they do, but they could apply. Guts. That's some guts. That's some guts. There you go. That is... Like, he is impressed by the guts. It should also be noted that when the mayor was calling her name all those times, he was looking around expectantly, hoping that she was there. And then he was disappointed when it seemed like she wasn't. And then he visibly brightened when she showed up. <laughs> Mayor Barnaby goes down and continues shouting out names, and Beatrice just kind of subtly slides over to you and whispers, Sorry I kept you waiting. I thought you weren't coming. Oh, come on, dude. I promised. I never break my promises. Ah, he'll just shrug. Yeah. This is Beatrice Stillwater. She's a bit of an anomaly in your town which is usually secluded and off to herself, but she is an adventurer. Uh, A couple years older than you, about 15, she's been exploring town since she can remember. First with her family and then off by herself. She's kind of an open book, so basically everyone in the town knows this, whether they want to or not. Mostly because anyone she didn't tell, Joan Miller went out of the way to tell for her. And Beatrice was your freedom. When told that he had to commit an act of extreme exertion or labor, Hop really didn't have anything on hand. But Beatrice, just around that time, rolled into town and said she pointed out that she was a performer who needed musical accompaniment. Why did you agree to do that if you're so nervous about performing? To Simon, Beatrice represents the outside that he has been wondering about his entire life. Because he grew up in Dunshire, and he really likes to read, ergo, the Jameson Hobbit book. So when she came rolling in on these roller skates that he had never seen before, he was enamored. And he really likes talking to her and hearing about where she's been and what she's done. And he wants to be as cool as her one day. So (laughs) if he has to perform a task that forces him to exert himself in a way he doesn't want to, it may as well be for Beatrice. Yeah. And you have a little cute smile Mm -hmm. thinking about that. Sure do. And then we're going to flash forward a little bit. You are now on the back of the stage. The person in front of you is practicing her performance, and you and Beatrice are kind of getting ready for your portion of the performance. What What is the, like, song and little, like, rollerblade dance that she's going to do alongside the song? What's that called? The Pythagorean Rhythm. What, ex- explain the Pythagorean Rhythm. All right, so Simon has an instrument. It is one of a kind. It's called a harmonic calculator, which you play like a harmonica sideways blowing into the air holes. Um, but you also play it like a calculator where you press the buttons to make the tunes go. And he was just messing around with it. And he happened to enter in the numbers that add to the Pythagorean theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And it made kind of a cool 
tune. So he wrote a song based on the Pythagorean theorem that he calls the Pythagorean rhythm, only because Pythagorhythm just sounds too short. But he did consider that name as well. It uh, It's also very appropriate because the Pythagorean theorem talks about right triangles, which have right angles. Mm. And right angles are also used to make squares. Oh! oh I'm not gonna 12-year-old. <laughs> good for you! Fictional 12-year-old. <laughs> Feel real good about yourself. It it took it took Beatrice a while to wrap her way around it, but she was able to make a way to have this very static, frankly boring song <laughs> and turn into an actually like fluid and exciting looking dance. And you two have been practicing along. It's been a little awkward, but she's been very flexible in working with you. So this is right before your essentially practice performance. Uh, what are you going to be doing during this time? This is before the practice or before the performance? Uh, this is before the practice performance, the like dress rehearsal. Okay, so I'm going to be tuning my harmonic calculator and then I'm going to turn to Beatrice. Are you nervous? She turns over and smiles and seems to look right through you and says, Well, it seems like you are. What's up? Uh, Simon is torn between considering Beatrice a good enough friend to be like, I'm nervous, but also not wanting to appear nervous in front of Beatrice, world-renowned traveler at age 15 who glides everywhere on sick-ass roller skates. So he's going to take a second to think about what he wants to say, and then he's going to speak out, No? And then he'll like sag a little bit and say, yeah, I've, I've, I've never really played in front of anyone. Just my dad's and you. It's all right to be scared, dude. I'm scared all the time. And hey, three people isn't nothing. That's three people. And I mean, you can't perform on anyone more strange than I am. I guess, but I think I'd rather perform on someone as strange as you. Everyone's just kind of so judgy here. I always feel like I'm doing something wrong. Well, if someone makes you feel like you're always doing wrong, and the only person who's wrong is them. Hey, what's that? And you see that she has pointed to your book, which you have carelessly set to your side. <laughs> Stupid Simon. He will visibly brighten that she has noticed the book and then say, Oh, well, you know, a while ago, I went to the library and, and there was this book and it was a history book. And um, there was this guy and his name was Jameson Hopper. And I'm already on chapter 12. And he's just really cool. You know, he, he kind of reminds me of you. You don't say, I remind you of the great Jameson Hopper? Do you know him? Absolutely not. But if he's anything like you describe him, he sounds awesome. Oh, he is. Uh, he's he travels around, you know, everywhere like you do. And 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 he stops and he helps people in towns. And I, I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever like stopped and helped people in a town, but but I'm sure happy you're here. So you kind of helped me. So, yeah, he, he kind of reminds me of you. And I don't know. I want to be like that someday, I think. She gives you a smile, but this one looks a little weird. She's admired by your enthusiasm, but there also seems to be a little bit of this almost pity, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean... <laughs> you hear Mayor Barnaby curtly say out, The stranger Beatrice Stillwater and Prince Simon Simon. I did not realize I got that title. I hate it so much. He, he, he's looking at these note cards, which he seems to be writing in as he does it. Tonight, the stranger and the prince will be performing the Pythagorithm, whatever that is, a song, and you can see him put up his hands for finger quotes, and dance, more finger note quotes, that will be sure to stimulate your senses and make you feel nice and cool. 
and certainly make you forget the sculpture gardens, which are not remarkable at all, and you have no reason to be there. I mean, why make some two people king and queen? You got a perfectly good king and a perfectly good queen here, and he points to himself and points to Amber. But regardless, please welcome the kids. From behind stage, you hear the other kids <laughs> reluctantly clapping because they were told to. Right. You can tell which ones are reluctantly clapping for you and which ones are a little less reluctantly clapping for Beatrice. And Beatrice turns around to you and says, all right, dude, are you ready? Uh, yeah. Can I like raise my hand to try to get Mayor Barnaby's attention? Uh, you are behind the curtains, so. Oh, I didn't realize it wasn't open yet. Well, then never mind. I just won't do that. You see your eyes start to like become less clear as just beads of sweat are like clogging up your eyes and it's less from the sun and more from nerves and Beatrice looks at you and says hey dude you you feeling all right I don't need you to die on me out there Simon will not he's a little bit he feels like he overshared a little bit when he was just so excited about about the book and he wanted to know that Jameson reminded him of Beatrice so he is going to try to appear more stoic than he feels and he'll just nod and give her a thumbs up she gives you a thumbs up and she says, all right, before we go out there, I want you to drink this. And she pulls from the ground a uh, glass of water. And from her, I'm going to say from her hair, because that's silly. Mm. She pulls out two ice cubes and she uh, drops them into the water. Like, well, you got to make sure to keep cool. And she hands the water to you. And I, I should explain that having ice is not irregular. Like there's Sanadi ice and then there's regular ice in Dunshire. Dunshire does have both. That's what makes it extremely infuriating that uses Sanadi ice only for the sculptures because it has to import actual (laughs) ice from other areas for its other purposes. What a waste of resources. So she drops two perfect cubes of ice inside this glass of water and she hands it to you. Uh, thanks. He'll drink it. He's thirsty. It's hot. You take a big gulp. What do you do with the glass when you're done with it? Oh, God. Um, put it, like, out of the way <laughs> where there's no way I could trip on it or she could trip on it or anything bad could happen. Like, like to the side, like, by, like, the steps that would come up from backstage to the stage. Okay. As you walk out on stage, I have a GM intrusion for no. you. <laughs> you only get one point. It doesn't go to anyone else. You want to give the other point to Beatrice? Sure. Why not? As you go, yeah, you were very you were very smart of putting the cup of glass to the side. You saw right through <laughs> me. But what you didn't anticipate was my need to embarrass poor young Simon. So as you walk, some of the water that you have been drinking kind of pooled on the ground beneath you, and you start to slip on it, and you fall into Beatrice. No! And I need you to roll speed defense to not just flop on outside of there. Speed defense? I don't even know what my stats are, because I'm 12 at 8. You slip and you flop, <laughs> you and Beatrice flop right on over. You grab onto her shoulders, no. and you both come careening downwards. But suddenly, you're still moving horizontally, but you're not on the ground yet. Instead, you're spinning clockwise, and you see Beatrice basically take the momentum and spin you around, like when you lift up a kid by the arms and just start spinning them around in like a little helicopter. Yeah. Elegantly spin you around before setting you to the ground and finishing this very classy uh, spin and like having a little bow. Are the curtains open yet? You did this while coming out. God damn it! She basically tripped on top 
top of her. All right. While you were coming out through the curtains, and then she span around and like kind of set you down, and you're trying to keep your footing. Simon's gonna pretend that was planned. He's kind of wobbling, having been set down by Beatrice, and he'll just stand there for a second, as if that was choreographed, and then he'll like collect himself and just take his harmonic calculator out of his pocket and just start going for it. Before you start playing, Mayor Barnaby looks back to you and says, Each student is given three minutes for performance. You have used up five of those seconds. Everyone, enjoy. And Beatrice says, We are the Prince and the Stranger. And we will be performing the Pythagorean Rhythm. She looks back at you as, as a kind of like, that's the, that's the name, right? He nods. She gives you a smile and a wink. Mr. Prince, please. And then he will blow the first note of the Pythagorean Rhythm. You blow the first note. And the second no. you blow it, a loud crying howl screeches out from the gardens and continues to wail. And all the kids and Mayor Barnaby jump up and look towards it. And there's a beat, and they all bolt. Hi, and welcome to the episode break for episode 16 of Quest Friends, the first of a two-parter mini-arc called Hop's Memory. I'm Kyle, your GM, and I've got a thing or two to talk to you about. The first is a bit of a clarification that I realize might be unclear in the episode itself. So early in the episode, Simon's dads were talking about the performance that was going on today. The performance Simon's dads were referring to was the dress rehearsal. So present day in story is the dress rehearsal, and then tomorrow in story will be the actual performance performance and the entire Sonati Solstice Festival. As usual, I got a call to action for you this week. This is another one to just tell your friends to take a look at Quest Friends. We don't really have the money to do a lot of advertising, and because we're going to have about a month before we really get into the next arc, now is the perfect time for your friends to get caught up on that backlog of 15 and now 16 episodes that we have. One last thing I almost forgot about, our intro song is One Way Home by White Sand, and our outro song is Hitoshio by Miracle of Sound. That's really all I got for you, though. Our next episode will release on Monday... June 11th, and I will see you, as always, then. surprise Simon enough that the note turns into like a and then he'll just snap like it was a good note and then it wasn't all right so everyone gets up and runs Mayor Barnaby for the gardens and the kids for everywhere else because they realize Mayor Barnaby is preoccupied and they can get (laughs) out of here early no one wants to do this what does Simon do he's really curious about the screen he's gonna run towards it well he's gonna um breathe a sigh of relief that he doesn't have to play his harmonic calculator and he'll put it back in his pocket and then look towards Beatrice actually to see what she's gonna do Well, come on. 
a princess to keep care take care of his kingdom, right? And she starts rollerblading off. All right, I'm going to follow her. You go through this really, really gaudy sculpture garden. You run past probably five of the same anine, and then six of a different anine, and you eventually make it to this main kind of gazebo performance area. Okay. And you see a couple of people there. In the back, you see Joan Miller, this like spindly, spidery woman with a large smile on her face. You see Mayor Barnaby kind of looking frantically at everyone, and you see Alvin screaming and crying, clutching on to the headless corpse of the ice statue of King Theo. And he just yells out, My husband! My husband! And as he does that, actual, real Theo (laughs) is just patting Alvin on the shoulder. How could this have happened? They can't melt! I don't know. Maybe his heart was so pure it melted through the sheen. And he turns over to you and says, Simon, what are you doing here? You can't see this. This is too horrific to watch. Simon's just going to ignore that parental command and say, what happened? Theo is going to turn over to you and very calmly say, my head melted off. <laughs> and sure enough, you can see that there is a stump where the Sanadi sculpture of King Theo should have been. And you can see that stump is starting to drip a little bit. And there's just a pool of water beneath it. And the head is nowhere to be found. The head is nowhere to be found. Because as non-King Theo said about King Theo, my head melted off. Right. Well, what are we going to do? The solstice is tomorrow. Could we just not have a sculpture? Everyone turns over to you and you hear that is a, and you hear three voices say brilliant, and one voice say horrific (laughs) idea, and I think you can guess which is which. And then Theo just turns over, honey, I'm right here, I'll be fine. How can you be fine when you're dead? Simon's gonna go up to his dad's, and how much would Simon know about, like, the process of harvesting Sonati Ice? He's 12. He's 12. He's 12 goddamn years old. Right, but the, he lives in a town that's... Well, he also didn't know that that was the only use. So I guess it makes sense he would ask this very dumb question that is sure to get him yelled at, which is, can't we just make another sculpture before tomorrow if it's so important? Make another? In a day? Joan pipes in, I adhere to only the highest of standards. And if I have to be seen next to him, it should be a proper rendition of his disgusting face. Quality over quantity, son. Well, we could just not have sculptures of the King and Queen this year. Joan gasps. (laughs) Who do you think you are? You Simons are all the same. A dad album turns over Joan. I don't need to take that back right now. I'm just saying what I think, Joan. I want you to listen to me. You can say that about me. I can handle it. You can say that about my husband, because he doesn't give a shit. You stay away from our son. What else? <laughs> well, come on, Alvin. Just because you're jealous, you're not up there as royalty. Oh, come on, Julius. You know you're the one that's jealous here. And the adults start bickering amongst each other. And Beatrice finally pipes and says, Oh, uh, excuse me. And they all just hush up. And she says, well, I mean, we still have the performance tomorrow. And Dunshire is a great town. So like, like if I've learned anything about this town is that it's, it's resilient and has a good community. And I think if we just bond together around the performance, everyone will be fine. And they all say in unison, no, that's too mean. (laughs) What were they going to say? They were going to say, fuck you. (laughs) To a child. They all say in unison, no, it isn't. And the mayor says, but, but as, as wrong as the girl is, she's right. We should calm down and come back to this later. Okay. Okay. 
And what do you do as the adults gather to the side? Once they started just straight up bickering with each other, I started ignoring them, and I'm studying the ice sculpture. So the adults leave, and Beatrice slides up next to you. I don't know, something just doesn't feel right about this. I mean, you said Sonati couldn't be melted, right? Yeah, it can't. Or I've always believed that. She kind of feels the stump a little bit. There's water dripping from where the head melted, and there's a puddle on the ground. Does the ice itself show any signs of some of it being missing? Like, because when it melts, there's usually like, kind of like candle wax, you know? Like, the shape starts to demorph because it's melting. Does the ice look like that? No. It is a clean cut at the head. Simon will point this out. He'll say, You know, if the ice was melting, I'd kind of expect it to look melty? It doesn't look like there's anything missing from the sculpture itself to make the water. Hmm. What was that you said about heroes going into towns and helping people? That heroes go into towns and they help people? How would you like to be a hero? Simon is is crouching by the ice sculpture at the moment and like looking up at her. He'll really think about it for a second. Me? Well, yeah, you. I mean, come on, Simon. The adults aren't going to do anything, and you've already cracked the first clue. I have? I got an idea. You and I spend the next couple of hours collecting evidence. Then we meet back here, we find the culprit, we stop them, and we save the Sonati Solstice. Simon will kind of, like, look back down at the ice sculpture. Do you think we could do it? I've been around to a lot of places, dude, and I know one thing. If there's anyone who can crack this case, I haven't met someone who can do it better than Simon and Simon. Oh, I forgot. If we go around looking for clues, we can't use our real names. That'd be too obvious. She's going to kind of like click her tongue a little bit. What if, what if, what if we use code names? Code names? Yeah, code names. Every hero has to have one. Like the prince and the stranger. Except everyone already knows those names. What if we use names from your book? Oh, and he'll open the book to the page that has been marked with the bookmark. And they'll say, yeah, that could work, because I don't think anybody really cares about this book besides me. Oh, come on, dude. Nobody cares about it except you and me. And then she's going to realize that that was actually really offensive Mm. and be like, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean it like that. Simon will shrug and he'll say, it's just that... I don't really know anyone else who likes history, so all I meant was that it's unfamiliar, you know? She's already picked up the book and is flipping through it a little bit. Or actually, she's going to sit down, she's going to be like, well, tell me about it, who's in it? Uh, Well, there's Jameson Hopper, and and then there's One-Eyed Joe. He's his arch nemesis. They've met in a a few towns, and they've really duked it out. But Jameson Hopper wins every time, but that's beside the point. Well, in that case, I think we found your new name, Hopper. Simon will blush again, and some of the blushing is just because it's so damn hot out. It's, like, impossible to have a face that does not look like you're blushing. Okay. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I could be Hopper. And I'll grab this... You said his name was Joe? Yeah, Joe. You said he was a bad guy? Mm Mm-hmm. Nobody's gonna suspect I'm a bad guy, right? That's good thinking, Joe. No, wait. uh, You're already ahead of me. All right, meet here in a couple hours. He nuts. And she's gonna, like, stand up straight right, and she's gonna do a little salute and be like, Well, it is an honor serving with you, Hopper. Simon will salute her back. See you soon, Joe. Question, has she worn the roller skates before? Is that a thing that Simon knew? Yeah, she wears them all the time. Uh, but you could you could still be surprised by it, and she'd be like, dude, I wear them all the <laughs> no, time. No, no, well, it doesn't. I wanted to be like, what are those? <laughs> like the <meat>. No, <laughs> no, get out. <laughs> get out. 
Okay. I can't. Too white to make that joke. <laughs> what are those? 